Well, let's begin by reading God's Word as it's found in Exodus chapter 20, and then we'll go to the passage in Philippians. It's God's holy and inerrant Word. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And then in Philippians chapter 4, we read this in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we confess our need to hear you speak. Our need to hear your voice, our need to respond to it. Father, you know all of us. And you know those who have heavy hearts this morning, those who are burdened with certain circumstances in their lives, who are confused by your providence. You know those of us who have a difficult time when it comes to the holiday season and it calls up oftentimes many memories that are not pleasant and we feel ourselves reliving pain from years gone by. You know others of us who whose hearts are filled with joy, especially this week as there has been opportunity to be with family and friends and to remember your many kindnesses and your blessings to your people. You know those who are present this morning who who are filled with doubts, skeptical about the truth, of your word, wondering if this good news could really possibly be true and if it could be true of them. Father, you know all of us. You know how we come before your word this morning. And so our prayer is that you would, by your spirit, apply this word to all of us as we need it, and that you would this morning 
as we study your law, that you would do with your word as you what you intend to do with it, especially your law, that you would show us the wretched condition of our hearts, how sinful we really are, how unable we are to keep this law perfectly. But we pray that you would not leave us there, that you would also take us to Jesus, that you would show us that though we are completely sinful, sinful through and through, that because of Jesus, we are, we are also loved completely and we are accepted fully because of him. And in him we find the freedom to come to your law and seek to please you with our obedience to it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, thankfully, I, I haven't met, had to make any trips to the doctor lately, um, and that's a very good thing. But, you know, every time you go to the doctor, it's pretty much the same routine. You know, you show up on time for your appointment so that you can wait an additional, you know, 30 minutes or so before before seeing the doctor. But at least usually, especially if you're going to see a new doctor, they... Uh, they always give you some busy work, uh, you know, as you're sitting in the waiting room and, so, you know, the nurse hands you the, the clipboard and says, you know, please fill this out. And so you're sitting there filling it out and, you know, they want to know your name, your address, your insurance, all that kind of stuff. Do you have any allergies? Um, but they also have this, they usually have this section that says, you know, check any of these boxes that apply to you. And, you know, have you ever had any major surgery, neck or head injuries, you know, do you have any kidney uh, infections, have you ever had a, any kidney infections? And they always ask you, they always ask you in there if there's a history of heart disease in your family. And, and actually, you look at these forms, they, they actually have quite a few questions about your heart. Now, why is it that they ask you those questions about your heart on that form? Well, it's because you can't just walk into the doctor's office and they can't immediately look at you and say, oh, I see that you have a history of heart disease in your family. Uh, they can't see that just by looking at you. I mean, a lot of times you can see the effect of something like heart disease. You can, you, you can see the consequences from maybe a heart attack or something, the scar left by the open heart surgery. But they ask you those questions on the form because they can't see the condition of your heart. You know, when it comes to this last command, it's it's a little different because you can often see murder, right? You can often see theft and adultery and you can hear lying, but you can't see coveting because it's a matter of the heart, not the physical heart, but the heart that is the real you. To be sure, you can see the effects of coveting, you can see the consequences of it, you can see the evidence of it, but you can't see coveting because it is a matter of the heart. And here's why this is very important. God ends the commandments by telling you that he is concerned with your heart. Now, you see, I think that's a problem for most of us because we tend to want a God and a life that are much more manageable than that. You know, we want something like a checklist, something that we can go through. Okay, here, here I can succeed at this. I know where I failed, all these kind of things. And God is saying here, 
When you do that, you are making living before him a matter of doing. And God is saying in this command that living before him is a matter of being. He is concerned with the very things that make you tick. What motivates you, what you desire, what you hope, and what you long for. He is concerned especially with the things no one else can see or hear. So first I want to look with you at what coveting is. You know the Rolling Stones sang that song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And then you too, you know, I, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And thousands of other songs just like them. And those songs tend, and they will live on for many, many years as they already have. They tend to resonate with people. And the reason they resonate with people is because they, they really do shed light on the human condition. In other words... For you and I in our experience, satisfaction in this life always seems just a little beyond our reach, just out of our grasp. You know, we we often feel as though we're looking for, for something to complete us, something that if we get it, we'll be able to rest, and yet we never seem to be able to find it. You know, when you talk about coveting, you were talking about a, this desire to have something, to get something, to make you whole, to cure you, to satisfy you, to give you rest. But it never seems to end there, does it? It always leads you from one thing to another and always empty at the end. Now, in this first point, when we're talking about coveting, I, I really do, we need, I want us to see our heart disease. And, and we'll have to wait in the second point really to see the cure to that disease. But for now, we need to realize that our hearts, they are always searching for something to quench the thirst. You know, something that will come in and resolve the ache that is in our lives and really satisfy us. And I know that you know better than to say it out loud very often. But I'm wondering how many times you think to yourself, if I just had and fill in the blank, then I would be happy. We'll talk about the ways we do that in just a second. But this is, in fact, what coveting is. You desire this or that, something or someone that belongs to someone else. Because you look at whatever that is and you think, if I had that, my life would be complete and I would be satisfied. And if I don't get that, I will be deprived and I will be miserable. I know it sounds shallow, uh, and maybe it is, but the problem is not very shallow. The problem is deep within our hearts. It's who we are, and we just hate to admit it. God says in this 10th this commandment, do not covet your neighbor's stuff. And what he's saying is he's saying, don't look for happiness in his things. Don't look for happiness in what he has. Look at the command. It's don't desire his house. His wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, or his donkey. I mean, none of us can possibly be off the hook here, even if we have not desired our neighbor's ox or donkey, you know? I mean, because God ends that commandment by saying, don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And anything really does mean anything. So how do you covet? What kinds of things do you covet? What do you think that if I get it, it's going to make me whole and fulfill me. You think that if you just could get inside 
the right social network and the group of friends, then you would feel secure in your life. Or you think that if you had the right house and if you could just get to the right neighborhood, you would be able to rest. Or you think that if your spouse changed and was a little bit more like so-and-so's spouse, you know, you could finally have some peace at your house. Or you wish that you had a different, you know, personality. I wish I was more like so-and-so. You think that if you had different and better opportunities that always seem to go to someone else, you know, that if you just had those opportunities... In circumstances, then you would be fulfilled. Some of you covet a different history, and it leads you to bitterness. You know, you think, if things had just been different in my life growing up, I would be whole and I would be complete. Some of you covet the opposite end, you know, an unknown future, and it leads you to anxiety. You're chasing a dream of the good life. One day that's out there for you that is going to make you happy. And it's not just, you see, the problem is, it's not just that you want these things. It's that we convince ourselves that we have to have these things. These things become the ever-elusive key to happiness and fulfillment for us. And if you don't get them, or even worse, if they are taken from you, then you are miserable and you are bitter. You see, very often, I think, the reason you are unhappy, the reason you are worried, the reason you are upset, the reason you are depressed and miserable in your life is because you are coveting something. And sometimes in this life you get what you want, and sometimes you don't. And it doesn't matter. Because what you have to see is that in all of it, you don't really know what you want. But you are always aching for it. The Tenth Commandment really does bring us full circle in a sense, right, with the commands. As someone once said, the Tenth Commandment, it is the first commandment in psychological terms. It brings us all the way back to the first commandment, commandment number one, which says, You shall have no other gods before me. I mean, coveting is turning things and stuff and opportunities and your past and your unknown future into gods that you serve. You know, those things in your life, they are treated like saviors. As if they could heal you and deliver you. And here's the danger in all of this. The things you are after, the things your heart is aching for, those things, they are after you. And what you so desperately desire to have, you know, the recognition and admiration of your peers, the security of the perfect neighborhood, the ever-elusive dream of a life of comfort and ease, what you so desperately desire to have, it will have you in the end. Coveting hijacks your heart that was made to be singularly devoted to God. This is what always happens with your coveting. With the things you are chasing, you quickly become slaves to those things. I think I, I think I shared this with you before, but years ago I was flipping through channels on my TV and I came across this inter- interview with this actress and here's this you know this famous actress and she's you know she's wealthy beyond what any of us in this room could possibly comprehend. She had fame and beauty and talent and you know she's desired by all these men and all these other women they just want to be her you know and on the surface she appeared in her life to have everything you could possibly want to have it all 
And in this interview, the person who was asking her questions began to get a little personal with her in the interview. And this lady started asking the actress about her relationships and one of her most recent divorces. And the question that was asked had to do with why her relationships with men never seemed to work out. And her answer, here was her answer. She said this, There is a gap in my life that I am constantly trying to fulfill. That is honesty about the human condition. You know, I still can't get no satisfaction. Here is this actress who seems to have it all, fame, beauty, talent, wealth, But what she is saying in her answer is she's saying money and things don't fill that gap. And she's saying wealth and beauty cannot cover up the emptiness and satisfy me. Fame, success, and relationships, they can't cure me. You see, she was just more honest than we usually are. She was confessing her slavery, a desperate pursuit to fill that gap in her life but complete inability to do so. And there is something huge that I think we all need to understand here. You cannot find happiness by looking for happiness. You cannot do it. It doesn't work that way. You chase happiness, and it will always be beyond your reach. A chasing after the wind, as the author of Ecclesiastes says. It will turn you into a slave. You know, I was thinking about how that first point was going to end, and I thought, you know, that's kind of a downer. Um, But we are talking about heart disease, after all, and uh, it's real hard to put a positive spin on heart disease. But it's in this second point that we get to the cure, contentment. Being content is the opposite of coveting. It's the ability to say, I'm whole, and I'm satisfied, and I'm complete. See, positively, God is coming with this command. When he says, do not covet, he's positively saying this. He's saying, be content with what you have. And don't you see, contentment really is the thing that we're all after. It's really the thing that we desire. And this is what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 4. He says that he has learned to be content no matter the circumstances, no matter what happens. He's found a deep satisfaction that allows him really to rise above any and every situation. And I guess the question that I'm trying to get at this morning and get you to answer this morning is, have you learned that secret or are you still on the treadmill? And what I mean by the treadmill, you know, treadmill, you get on the treadmill and you run and you run and you run and you go nowhere. How you think in your life... (laughs) If I could just get around the next turn, over the next hill, if I could get that or be that, if I could become more like this, then I'll arrive and then I'll be able to rest. But are you still restless? Look, Paul is saying in this passage that he has learned the secret to getting off of that treadmill, to being done with being pushed and pulled by circumstances, and he has found rest. He shows you this by taking you to the extremes. In verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need on the one hand, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed on the one hand or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 
He takes you to the extremes to show you real contentment. It doesn't matter if he has a little or a lot. He's satisfied. It doesn't matter if circumstances go well or not. He's complete. Ask yourself this question, what would you be like if everything was taken from you? Uh, what if... What if the things that matter most to you in this life were stripped from you? What would you be like? You know, for me, it's my family, plain and simple. What is it for you? Your appearance, your career, the approval of your peers. What would, what would you be like if it, whatever it is, was taken from you? Would you be bitter? Would you be angry? Would you be depressed? But here's the other question, right? What if you got what you really wanted? What if you got to the place where you thought if you had that, you'd arrived? If you had it all, would you be content in a way that rises above even those circumstances? Would there be humble thankfulness or something else? Perhaps one of the best illustrations that, that I've heard of the emptiness of getting what you really want um, comes from a writer who lived in New York and, and knew a lot of struggling actors and actresses who, who really and, and saw them at the beginning and saw them achieve their dreams and their hopes and saw them get what they were after. And I heard another pastor use this quote. It took me some searching to find it. But here's this quote from Cynthia Heimel. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. She writes this, I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. You see, they wanted fame, and they worked, and they pushed. The morning after each one of them became famous, however, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that thing that was going to make everything okay, that that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness happened, and they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. How many, many times God has blessed you by not giving you what you want. And the reason is this, because he knows that only he will ever be able to satisfy you and make you whole in such a way that it doesn't matter the circumstances in your life, whether you have plenty or want. See, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says that he learned this secret, a secret that allows him to rise above all these, these extremes. You know, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, he isn't howling at loss. And he isn't insufferable in his gain. He found something that satisfied him. And he gives us the answer in verse 13. He says this, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Because he isn't saying, you know, Jesus will give you strength to be, you know, the perfect super mom you've always wanted to be. He isn't saying Jesus will give you the strength to become a straight-A student. He's not saying Jesus will allow you to climb to the top of the ladder in your career or your profession. Give me about two minutes to explain a little play on words here that I think will help shed light on this secret of Paul's. In our passage, Paul uses the word content. And that is a word that he has borrowed from Greek Stoic philosophy. Okay? And you see, the Stoics, they used this term to describe what they considered the ultimate virtue. 
That virtue, that ultimate virtue to them was self-sufficiency. Becoming completely independent from others and circumstances and relying completely on yourself. Being uncontrolled by circumstances because you were standing strong on your own two feet. What happens in this passage is that Paul borrows that word from these philosophers. But then in verse 13, he's breathing new meaning into it. Paul is saying, I can be content not because I am self-sufficient, but because Jesus is sufficient. He is saying, give me nothing, give me plenty. Jesus is enough to satisfy my soul. Peter O'Brien writes about this play on words uh, in his commentary, and he writes this. His self, speaking of Paul, his self-sufficiency was entirely due to the sufficiency of another. And so it was very different from that of the Stoic. You see, Paul is saying, Jesus satisfies the longing of my soul. He is the one who quenches my thirst. He is the one who satisfies my deepest cravings and fills my emptiness. You know, we still have a few more verses to deal with in Exodus chapter 20, and we'll do that next week and conclude the series. But... But I thought that it would be appropriate for us to end this week by talking once again about Adam and Eve. If you've been paying attention throughout this little series, you'll realize that Adam and Eve have showed up in every single commandment we've talked about. Um, And hopefully you see the reason. The reason is this. God is saying in these commandments, he is saying, I came and I set you free from your slavery so that you can, could be what you were meant to be in this life. Just think about Adam and Eve in paradise, right? Walking in the garden together with their God in the cool of the day. I mean, enjoying deep bonds of fellowship and intimacy. But it wasn't just in those relationships with one another and with their God. Work was always fruitful and rewarding. And that there was harmony in creation. I mean, Adam names the animals, right? Lions and tigers and bears are paraded in front of him for him to name. But, you know, in Genesis chapter 2, no one ever heard of the expression, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. There was not an oh my in Genesis chapter 2. Everything was in harmony. But then came Genesis chapter 3 and a crafty serpent. And there was Eve, and the serpent was tempting her to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was that temptation? God isn't good to you. He's holding things back from you that would make you happy. Having God himself is not enough for you. You can be so much more. You can call your own shots. You can be your own God. Then you'll be happy. Then you'll be fulfilled. Then you'll be satisfied. It's very interesting what it says in Genesis chapter 3, I think. She saw the fruit and it was desirable to her. That is, she was lusting after it. She was desiring to have it. She was coveting it. So she took it and ate it and gave it to her husband, and immediately the world fell apart. And every harmonious string was broken. And all relationships crumbled and were broken. You see, the opening chapters of Genesis are telling you this. You are made to be satisfied in your maker. Look for fulfillment in anything else. Set your heart on anything else and you will 
become a slave. You will always be pushed and pulled by the circumstances and never free. So how do you get free from the slavish desire to succeed in work, to be the super mom, to have the approval of others, to have financial security, whatever it is? You see, you have to learn what Paul learned. That only Jesus, your maker and redeemer, can satisfy the longing of your soul. Only he can quench your thirst and satisfy your deepest cravings. Because you see, listen to me, you need to hear this. When you get that, when you get that deep into your heart, all those other things lose their power. You see, and money just becomes money. And success just becomes success. And sex, just sex. And you don't live or die on the opinion of others. Those things are good, but they aren't ultimate to you anymore. Because of Jesus, those things can be enjoyed without enslaving you. What an appropriate command this is to study three days after Thanksgiving. Find your rest. Find your fulfillment. Find your satisfaction in Jesus. And you can be thankful for his gifts instead of trying to define your life by his gifts. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We, we thank you that it does indeed reveal to us that we are often chasing after the wind. We are after, often looking at other things things other than you to satisfy us, things that we think will bring us fulfillment if we just had them. And we confess that we are, we are often a people filled with bitterness and anger because some of those things have been denied us. Our prayer this morning is that you would make us whole, that you would make us complete, that you would satisfy our deepest longings with Jesus. That you would show us that he was born under the law, that he fulfilled it, and that he fulfilled it in our place. That he died for coveters like us in order that we might be content in him. We pray that by Jesus, you would set us free from the things that so often entangle us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.